Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast studio in Stoneville. Tom and I are here and back by popular demand, Mr. Chris Bennett from Farm Journal. Chris, good to see you, man. I can't hide my excitement. I'm I'm excited to be here with y'all and and your listeners, so thank you. Well, it never disappoints. Selfishly, I just like listening to you. If nobody else enjoys your stories, I get a huge (laughs) kick out of them. I always look forward to to reading them. With that said, other people are listening. There are numbers associated with that. We won't make Chris feel like he's just here to entertain the two of us. I said (laughs) selfishly. Okay. I just want to preface that for the listeners that that it's, it's not just about Jason's giggles. I know people that have commented on Chris's the episodes we've done with Chris in the past, so I know I'm not alone, but I did qualify by saying selfishly. Okay. Chris sends me your links to his articles when they come out, and, and I always get a kick out of reading them. And the level of detail is just phenomenal. And then the level of recall that you have to remember the details of a story, even years after you've been immersed in it, writing an article about it is equally impressive. Oh, man, devil's in the detail. I always say that. I was rolling down the road the other day, and agriculture, so wonderful because it's so just filled, soaked with incredible stories that fellas carry they don't know they're carrying. And I saw a chemical truck go by. I don't know what type of chemical truck it was, but the, the back of it was somewhat of a long kind of hourglass shape in my mind. Boom, it snapped. And I was 14 again. And I was on this soccer team. And we traveled. And I let me preface this by saying I was a terrible player, terrible player. <laughs> I was on the team, right? I was, we had 15 guys on the team. I was probably 14 or 15. We traveled to Dubai for this big tournament. If, and, and for those of you that are not familiar with Chris's background, grew up a lot of his formative years in Jordan. Right, right, right. So we, we, we traveled to Dubai for this big tournament and got our tails just shellacked. Everybody beat the tar out of us. I remember when the tournament was over, following the last game, coach got us all together in a circle to give us a pep talk, I thought, and he just lambasted <laughs> us, told us we were the worst team he'd ever coached. <laughs> so uh, we got on the plane with our blazers on and such, to fly back. And in the back of the plane was one of the teams that had beat the tar out of us. They were from Egypt. It was a huge plane. Uh, the midsection had maybe six, seven seats, aisle with three or four seats on the side, aisle with three or four seats on the side. Huge, long fuselage. I don't know if it was a jumbo. I don't know. It was just, this is in the early 80s, and it was big. So about halfway through the flight, the 15 of us were sitting together. They were all crammed together, our blazers and church shoes on. And coach was, I don't even know, different section of the plane, maybe drinking. I don't know. He didn't want anything to yeah, do with you exactly. all at that point. Yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so I, I can't tell you where it came from, but this is how the chemical truck comes in. In my pocket, I had brought, I don't remember if I brought more than one, but I, I pull out a stink bomb. And this was about three to four inches long and uh, maybe half inch wide, and it had like an hourglass shape, and it was filled with a yellow liquid. And I said, hey, fellas, um, why don't we go to the back of the plane back there where those boys from Egypt are, and we'll break this thing, and we'll get them back, you know. And these things were very pungent, and when you broke them indoors, <laughs> they had a terrible aroma. 
I underestimated what would happen at <laughs> forty thousand feet. Now, I, let me let me slide in a over contained for, environment, mind you, fellas. Let me slide over for one second. This is in the early eighties, and we are literally over flying over the Persian Gulf. Uh, planes were being hijacked at a phenomenal, phenomenal rate at the time. So we're over the Persian Gulf, and I hand this stink bomb to to my buddies. I'm smart enough not to do this. And I give them the bomb and say, hey, look, man, y'all pretend like you're going to the bathroom. Y'all go into the back. One of you set the stink bomb down in the aisle, and the other one pop it with your, your heel, right, because we had the church shoes on. And so there they went. Uh, the, the two teammates, again, with their blazers on, heading down the aisle. And you got 13 heads in the aisle watching them go down. And when they got down there right in the middle of the Cairo team, they did exactly what I described. One kneel, dropped it. The other one crushed it with his heel. And they panicked. <laughs> and instead of going on to the bathroom, they turned and headed right back to us. I kid y'all not. By the time they walked to us, up through the fuselage, roared I mean, roared a smell from hell, right? <laughs> it was unreal. Some chemical combustion process had taken place, and it roared up the cabin and sent the entire cabin, plain old full of people, into total panic. So the secret police, right, secret service, got their pistols out, and they're running up and down the aisles, and the 15 of us had to take our suit jackets, put them on top of your head and cover your mouth, and you can see with your eyes out. And the groups of people on the plane, they all started crying. The plane is going wild. And we're sitting there laughing, our head looking at each other. Minutes go by, five minutes goes by, ten minutes goes by. The oxygen things, they pulled the oxygen down out of the ceiling. Women are putting oxygen things on, trying to, trying to breathe. The lady vomits about three rows up. Finally, the captain shows up, right? Captain comes down the aisle. Or he had the stripes on. I assumed he was a captain. He must have been captain, co-captain, whatever. He gets down there to us. He says, hey, 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 you. And he points to the 15 of us. He says, I, I want you to know. We know what happened. And when we land, when this plane lands, the Army and the police are waiting for y'all. You'll be in prison tonight. So we, we, we quit laughing. You know, no, no more laughing. I mean, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. So when we landed, right, we get off on the tarmac. It's back in the tarmac days. We're looking around, waiting, waiting, waiting. Who's going to be there? No one was there. It was all a bluff. I, don't ask me what happened. So we walked on into the airport, and Coach coach got us all into a huddle again. And he was scared because he is, his butt was going to be on the line, and he told all of us, hey, this ends today. This ends today. You understand? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So there's my, my crazy tangent on a story that's buried. You don't know until you see that signal. Hey, farmers the same way. All these wonderful, rich stories, and sometimes it just takes a little trigger, and therefore they, they spill. <laughs> I told you the level of detail is just staggering. <laughs> All right, so that is going to bump my question, Tom, because anything I was going to come up with to ask Chris is going to pale in comparison to the stink bomb over the Persian Gulf. <laughs> in a really big airplane. All right, Chris, we are in hunting season, but rifle season, the traditional deer season, is upon us. So you've got a pretty crazy tale about a set of deer antlers. 
I have been fortunate enough to harvest a couple of deer that were really, really good for me. And both of them have a story attached to it. So, I, And I think a lot of times, particularly if it's not just an overwhelming trophy, world-class level deal, the story is as big of a trophy as the actual trophy hanging on the wall. I say that would go for deer or ducks or, or whatever. The occasional black squirrel that somebody's got mounted on their wall because you just don't see a black squirrel or an albino squirrel. There's always a story attached to it. So deer antlers, for those that they're important to, are very important to that individual. So tell us a story about the deer antlers. This is actually a wonderful tale. It actually ends well. It does show the dark side of human nature, but it ends well. There's a young man, I think it was 1998, Dave Richmond, he runs Whitetail Outdoors, has a, uh, a business now involved in, in, in hunting, cover crops, many different uh, consulting aspects. Richmond in Maryland, I think he was in eastern Maryland, 1998, had a few acres behind his house where he would hunt. He was 14. I think at that point he had never killed a buck. And uh, he was scouting before season started. He saw a big buck, right, big buck, eating persimmons behind his house. His two acres connected to more acres. It was a nice little corridor, kind of a child's paradise back there. But to, uh, being a 14-year-old, right, he saw horns and he saw buck. That translates to big. The crazy thing was he genuinely was looking at a monster buck. He didn't know that. So it's not what got his blood going. Just a buck, big. He was hoping this might be the year. This might be the time. I'm not sure of the hunting rules there. I'm not sure of the house's proximity to town. But for whatever reason, he was hunting with a slug. I think it was a 870 Remington uh, 20 gauge, I, I believe. And uh, him and his daddy got in the stand that morning or that afternoon. One I can't remember, anticipating seeing this big buck that the young man. Dave Richmond had seen. That's exactly what happened. It was textbook. He shot the buck. The buck ran off and dropped. They found the buck. And pre-digital camera, or at least pre-digital cameras of any renown, his father took regular pictures of him with the buck. I want to emphasize that he took pictures. There was there were antlers included in the photo. Those are going to turn out later, of course, to be fingerprints. So you can imagine the excitement. Uh, first of all, y'all have been there, 14, uh, massive excitement. His father, the community, is even more excited because the book, which eventually becomes, I think it's a 185 non-typical Boone, Boone and Crockett, something like that. It was outrageous score. Don't quote me on that, but it was a very nice book. They take it to a local taxidermist because they want to preserve it, put it on the young man's wall. And uh, that was in November, so as Christmas approaches, the Richmonds get a call. They get a call from a taxidermist that says, hey, uh, your buck's gone. You know, what do you mean our buck's gone? Your buck's gone. What do you mean, like literally? Yes, uh, somebody broke in. Normally I put uh, the prized antlers in a, in a safe, some sort of lock-in area, but on this particular night, I did not, and your handlers are gone. <laughs> so, I mean, there's not really anything to say, except they didn't believe this gentleman. 
and the uh, family did what they could in the community to go out, put the word out with flyers, family, you name it. They went on a local radio show pleading their case. And, you know, if, if I heard that one of happened to one of y'all, my heart would go out. But if I heard it happened to a 14-year-old, your heart goes out that much more. And so that's what happened. But long story short, it didn't matter. They could not find the young man's antlers. Years went by. So young Dave Richmond goes from being a, a, a kid that's never even killed a buck to actually having a highly successful hunting business. And as the technology advances and as we all enter the, you know, we up to our eyeballs and digital technology, somebody tells him, because people would always, you know, campfire asking about the antlers. Somebody tells him, hey, man, why don't you put one of those old photos onto one of the forums and just see if you get lucky. Why not, right? So when he does that, he puts it on a uh, very well-known deer forum and says, has anybody seen my antlers? Now, his assumption, which was a good assumption, was that his antlers more than likely were in Texas or in California, right? They've been sold. They're gone. His antlers are actually a few miles away, but he doesn't know that yet. So he puts it online, and uh, the comments start to roll in. Y'all you, you, already know the comments. Some of them are insulting comments. Some of them are, hey, I'm sorry this happened to you, but nothing. And next day, his uh, inbox jingles, and there's a 14-year-old kid on the other end of the line or, or, or digital line. Now, keep in mind, again, he was 14 years old when this happened. The deer that he dropped was a 14-point. I can't remember, maybe 250 pounds, 14-point. And this is about 14 years later, and he's getting a message from a 14-year-old kid who says, I know where your antlers are. Just like you or me, he thought, man, this, this kid is a little punk. He, he's maybe <laughs> trolling me. Or he's just wrong, what have you. He messages back to the kid, why don't you send me a picture if you know where my antlers are. Just serves. I'm sitting here talking to y'all. Boom, into his inbox comes a picture of the antlers. And one of them, there's a picture of it online. My Swiss cheese memory can't tell you. I think there was a major drop down, major fingerprint that was a match. And when Richmond looked at the picture, he knew. He knew instantly, that's my deer. And the kid told him, your deer, I took this picture at a gun store. I don't remember the name of it. It's at a gun store here at local. Of course, he looks the gun store up. The gun store was 25 or 30 miles away. And he gone. <laughs> Richmond is gone to get his antlers. Right? <clears throat> but he calls the police. And he says, I need some help. I want to go to this gun store to get my, <laughs> to get my antlers. And they give him the runaround. And he's going out of his mind. He keeps explaining over and over to employee after employee. And finally, he gets an officer on there who's a hunter. And he explains the significance of all of this. And this guy, it kicks in. The guy says, I'll meet you there. I can be there at the physical address in five minutes. Richmond himself was closing in. So they met there in the parking lot. Like I said, this is 14, 15 years later after he lost the antlers, and he's waiting outside of this, in this gun store parking lot. And he, hasn't, he hasn't been inside. He hasn't seen anything. He's just there, and he meets the, the cop. 
The cop tells him, look, I'm fixing to go in. You sit tight in your vehicle. We don't want any problems. I'm going to go in. I'm going to take a look. I'll scope it out. I'll be back. He goes in. He comes back out like in you know, a minute. He walks right back out. He said, your deer's in there. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, you walk behind me. Be, keep it cool. We're going to go in, and we're going to handle this right. So I'll take a breath right there. <laughs> I can only imagine where it's going, Tom. Well, I'll be the one person to just speak up and say, I, I shot a deer. So I have absolutely no ownership when it comes to any of that. But I am well aware of those people that I'm close with that are deer hunters. I know what it all means to y'all. I mean, I see them in offices around Stoneville. Uh, I will say, yes, I have the means to go hunt. I just, I don't. <clears throat> the uh, but spouse doesn't want me to have a hobby. But the younger Alan, <laughs> on the other hand. Oh, yeah, the younger Alan, well, we'll just, yeah, we won't... Um, <clears throat> Won't go into that. Tom's son is eat up with it, Chris. Oh yeah, yeah. Awesome. First first shot out of his rifle in the, in the stand killed that deer. <laughs> he, he was infected then. After oh yeah. That, huh? <laughs> he went he went shooting with with Don and and Bobby, which is always a stellar story to retell when when Don's like, "How far you want to shoot that thing?" and Ward tells him he wants to go for the longest target, and he takes a shot and he hits it, and Don's like, "You missed it." And Ward looks at him and goes, "Nah, I hit it. You could hear it ping." <laughs> They're playing it back on the recording, sure enough. Of course, Don couldn't hear it ping. <laughs> That's exactly right. Ward could. The assumption, fellas, and I, I don't. I, I'm not going to tell you a dollar amount. I'm not going to talk right of what I don't know. But Richmond's assumption was that the antlers had been sold for big bucks. Essentially, if you're looking at something that's, you know, museum quality, or, or at least I guess you could say maybe Bass Pro Shop wall quality, the money's there if you want it. So someone, he assumed, stolen it. They sold it. Again, California, Texas, the antlers were gone. So he's waiting outside. He follows in with this policeman into this gun store. I remember talking to him, and I was asking him, hey, did you go down this aisle? Did you go down that aisle? Did you see the dude? And, and I, I, he, was more, he was more emotional than that. He said, man, you know, my, my adrenaline was going crazy. I was reliving my childhood. I'm going down the aisle. I'm looking for the deer because I don't know what direction I went, that kind of thing. On one side of the store behind the counter, after a few more steps, Richmond was looking at the antlers and the deer head on the wall. And he knew immediately that's his. So the policeman approached the gun store owner and said, uh, where, sir, did you get that deer? And I thought the gun store owner would clam up and refuse to speak, but this was his story. He said that he had side stream income from rental properties, and that at some point years ago, his tenants had moved out. They had left uh, unexpectedly, something like that. And they had left these antlers on the wall. So he took them from a rental house. That was his. And he transferred them to the gun store. Of course, the story wasn't remotely believable. And if, if it's true, it's true. But, I, you know, anyway, I ain't buying it. But uh, the policeman told him. He told the gun store owner, you know, sir, you got two choices. 
we can do this the easy way, we can do it the hard way. You got two doors, you choose which one you want to do. Guy turns around, pulls antlers off the wall, and hands them over. So Richmond walks out of that gun store with these mega antlers, and I assumed that he went home. He got in his vehicle and started burning rubber for the taxidermist that he had taken it to as a 14-year-old. He said, I got to the taxidermist. I walked right in through the front doors. Said so the, the actual uh, taxidermy uh, uh, functioning, the, the actual work went on in a room in the basement. So he said, I, I walked in, there was a receptionist, and there was a camera up there filming me. And I said, I held the antlers up to the camera. So I knew that the, <laughs> I knew the taxidermist could see me downstairs. And I said, I need to see the taxidermist. And she said, well, he's busy working right now. He'll be up in a few minutes. I said, I just uh, walked around with my antlers there for a couple of minutes, waiting for him to come up. So was it? <laughs> was it just the antlers, or what? It had, had no. before it had been stolen. Yeah. Had he got to the point of this of was really interesting. On the this was interesting, and and I, I I think I'm telling you this right. The antlers at this point were on a different deer. The antlers themselves had either been shifted over the years, possibly to hide them better. I, I don't know, but he said that was not my deer head. So at the point it was stolen, I guess that's my question. At the point that it was stolen. Was it just the antlers, or had the taxidermist made it far enough in the process that he had already mounted it? Uh, what was stolen, according to my memory and my belief, Jason, was the disassembled parts. Okay. And I don't know exactly how taxidermy works, but it was not the finished specimen that was taken into the, the thief's truck. That's how I figured. And the reason I ask, because the, if the taxidermist was in on it, he would have some level of investment in it at that point. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and then, if, the it, and then if it just got stolen and it's in a random tenant house a couple towns over, <laughs> you would think it was just antlers, you know, like skull right. cap or homemade mount or something like that. Right. Old Richmond, uh, the lady, after minutes go by, she tells him he's not coming up. He's not, he's not able to come up. He's, he's busy right now. He won't be coming up. So he said, I, I knew then. I knew then what had happened for sure. And he left. Uh, he, he went on to enter the deer in some major contest there in Maryland. And he won. And, of course, it's on his wall at home now. And he may, he may have told me, y'all, don't quote me on this, that he went ahead and had it put on another deer head. But I, I'm not positive about that. But the, 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 one of the richest parts of the story was that he called the boy's daddy, the boy that had put him on this deer, and he said, hey, I'd like to do something for the young man out of appreciation. What is something I can get him that he would like? And the dad said, oh, man, you know, don't worry about it. Just He likes Cabela's. Just get him a, a $50 gift card, and, 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 man, that would be awesome. And so Richmond said, I immediately went and bought a $300 gift card and took it to the kid. He said it was the best money that I ever spent. So 14-year-old kills a 14-point. 14, 14 years later, a different 14-year-old essentially returns the antlers to him. So almost all of that stories, the item never comes back. But in this case, it did. And kind of hide in plain sight, too. I mean, the, the odds on him being in the 
hunting industry and then it being in a gun store pretty close to home i mean the odds on him having walked in that store at some point or somebody he knows got to be pretty high like well, I said, the, 25, 30 miles away. The 14-year-old would have been more enamored with those than somebody who was more an adult, probably. Well, no would question. would just be my thought that he, that little boy walked into that gun store and saw those and went, man, Dad, I want to shoot one like that. And nobody else had any recollection, but that's pretty, that's incredible that they stayed within that general region because you're right, lots of those things get sold to somebody who wants to play like they're a big hunter, and they aren't. You think about your childhood, and all of us have an item or multiple items that we can't go back and get. Uh, you know, you, we've all heard our daddies talk about getting rid of their baseball cards, for example. And they, they can't go back and get them. They're, they're gone. All of us have those type items, and, and they genuinely have disappeared, and there's no way to go. But in this case, fella got to go back, and he got hopped in the time machine and, and got it back. So I was happy for him. In running all the rabbits out on this story, how often do you think that happens? Oh, you mean actual theft at, yeah. at taxidermy? Yeah. I don't know at all. I will say this, and I've also I've always wanted to do an, an, an article on it. Well, there's two two different related articles I wanted to do, and that is the hijinks that goes on with the giant antlers about you know when when the suspicions get raised that it's it's pin raised. Versus wild, I, I'm absolutely fascinated by those cases. And the other thing that I, I'd like to go back and write on is the original Hogzillas. Y'all remember when, when Hogzilla got big, National Geographic would do a documentary, for example, and say, hey, Hogzilla's been killed in Georgia. And this Hogzilla is 900 pounds. And, 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 and next thing you know, two months later, <laughs> there's a Hogzilla killed in Florida. And so this Hogzilla is 1,100. Well, I'd love to go back and write on those stories about uh, exactly, again, were those pen escapes? Were they real Hogzillas? Most of the time, of course, they are uh, pen escapes or some sort of half half breed. But there's, there's also uh, awesome hunting stories out there. And y'all know that when you combine farming with hunting, I think chasing your family would be right, man, right in the bullseye of this. You come out with uh, stories for the ages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and everybody does. You're talking about jogging your memory from childhood. I can sit here and hear my papa ringing in my ear telling story after story after story after story. That just, just phenomenal hunting stories that uh, you don't hear anymore. I guess it was a little bit more of the Wild West. <laughs> you know, in the 40s and 50s and 60s, when he was really, really into it, I mean, they just wanted as many regulations, what as many hard property lines. <laughs> right. <laughs> the last couple of years, the legendary poachers out of Texas uh, on, at, at King Ranch and several other places have come forward and told their stories and if, if any of your listeners want to look those up on Google about the, the history of Texas poachers, those stories are absolutely something almost primal, something pulled from the opening pages of American history where you know guys were going on to properties and staying for days and staying for weeks, hiding out, property owners looking for them. But the acreage expanse was far too wide. The footprint was too big. And I think like in the last five years, they've come out and told their tales. It's 
Fascinating. Illegal? Yeah, yeah, but it's fascinating. <laughs> you know, don't taint don't taint a good story with legality, right? <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you know how much we always appreciate you having in here having you visit, you always tell spectacular stories. I mean, the details are always great. It's always good to listen to you. It's always a wonderful time to have you here. We really appreciate you coming down and visiting. No, appreciate y'all. It's my privilege to be here, so thank y'all so much. Thanks, man. Thanks for all the articles that you write, because I know there's yeah, there's current topic information that you put out, too, so always enjoy reading all the stuff that you produce, man. Thank, hey. Thanks for spending time with Big us. Big 10-4. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.